back, everybody. This is Founders Talk. I'm your host, Adam Stachowiak. This show features in-depth, one-on-one conversations with founders, and that's today. Tune in live on Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Central Standard Time, right here on 5 by 5 and this is episode number 43, and today I'm joined by two fellas, Jamie Smith and Daniel Genser. I should ask you how to say your last name before the show, <laughs> and I don't know why I stumbled right there. I, I, I practice, even. It's, it's a shame. <laughs> And uh, nonetheless, misspellings or mispronunciations uh, aside, they are the makers of the infamous type engine. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Infamous, huh? <laughs> uh, you know, some people ask me, do I, I never, I'm never sure if I even use that word correctly, infamous. I think of it kind of like fame, but not really. <laughs> it's got a bad connotation. That's not how <laughs> That's I meant right. it here. Dark overtones. Dark, yes, yes, exactly. That's that's the way you do it, right? Storm Dark clouds overtones. gather. <laughs> so, so fellas, you guys, a uh, little bit of preamble before the show. You guys are uh, coming out of Seattle, so you're in the Pacific Time Zone. I'm in Central. <laughs> and uh, what are you guys doing up there? Getting rained on. <laughs> it rains a lot there, right? J- Jamie's just learning because he's new to the Northwest, but you know. It rains a lot, but it's more gray than rain. <laughs> and I heard it's hard to keep a smile up there. That's why we have uh, coffee, you know. That's right. That's absolutely Gotta grow right. a mustache. That's absolutely <laughs> right. So we're joined today by uh, by Jamie and Daniel. They're the creators of Type Engine. But uh, like like usual on this show, we want to dive deep into um you know what their their story is and as i understand it guys you guys have a fun story of how you guys met but before that let's let's let the listeners know which voice is which and introduce uh you guys so we'll let uh we'll let daniel go first daniel introduce yourself please yeah my name is daniel genser and uh congrats on getting that last name right it's only six letters but there's all sorts of ways it can go wrong i almost said gesner because <laughs> we have a gesner street here in in houston and i almost said gesner and then I was thinking, is it the street? No, it's not the street. It's Daniel. And so my bad. My bad. <laughs> yeah, no, you, know, you, got, you got mine right. Good job. Um, yeah, so I'm a, a creative director, co-founder of uh, Type Engine. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm originally from Northwest here, from Tacoma, Washington, and um, been a uh, uh, web, web designer since, uh, since the mid-90s. And uh, um, so that's my, that's my little 10-second soundbite. <laughs> <laughs> and what about you, Jamie? So I'm Jamie Smythe. Uh, I've been answering to Smith basically my whole life, so that's okay. I have a funny story why I said Smythe. <laughs> and, and I have a good friend. His last name is Seitzma. And when I first met him, I thought it was Sitzma. It's a long story, but very similar spellings. So that's why I said Smith. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's okay. I've been answering to Smith my whole life. So, yeah, it's Smythe. Uh, I'm the CEO of uh, Type Engine and the Smythe Group. And as Daniel said, I am new to the Pacific Northwest. I'm from Louisiana via New York. So, yeah, I've been east, middle, and now west coast. And uh, and I'm enjoying living up here in Seattle area. It's pretty cool. So, uh, one thing, I guess, before we really kick off the show, since you mentioned just the span of time zones there, I've lived on East Coast, I've lived in Central, never Pacific, but do you find it kind of weird uh, determining when you should be where because of the time zone differences? <laughs> like, do you ever show up three hours early and you're like, well, I guess I'll just sit down and work for a bit until everybody gets here? Well, 
What I found, because I, I moved here from Louisiana, um, and in our consulting business, we, you know, we have people that are in all the time zones in America already. So I was kind of used to that shuffle. But um, we used to have an 8 o'clock, 8 a.m. Monday morning meeting, central time. And I told the guys that when I moved to the West Coast, that's the first thing that we're changing <laughs> is the time of that meeting. So wow. it is now comfortably 11 a.m. Monday morning Pacific time. So, Jamie, you, you, had, you had people on the West Coast before this, though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I feel sorry for those guys now. I don't know how they stuck with me. <laughs> tough cookie, tough cookie. So um, we mentioned Type Engine. We haven't really talked uh, at all really about what it is. But I, I guess I'm kind of assuming, as I mentioned, infamous, whether it's used correctly or not, that you guys kind of have uh, – a budding, so to speak. You know, you guys have been in beta for a little bit. Um, things have been kind of going well. You had a recent announcement with uh, a fellow five by five broadcaster here, Jim, that runs the loop. So, I mean, you guys have had some really great press happening and a lot of fun stuff. But um, for whenever you're asked, hey, so guys, what is what is Type Engine? What do you say? Uh, type Engine is uh, beautifully simple newsstand publishing. So we make it really easy for you to create your own magazine app for iPhone and iPad. And so obviously when you say newsstand, everyone should know that that means iOS, right? Yeah. Yep. Right. I mean, because so that's just iOS for now. Exactly. For now. Maybe it's there's funny, an announcement it's later. It's funny you say that. <laughs> it's funny you say that. We just got out of a knockdown drag out. Well, there wasn't much knockdown, but it was a lot of drag out <laughs> talking about that. And uh, yeah, yeah, we have big plans for the platform. We're not just we're not stopping at iOS, um, but uh, obviously it made a ton ton of sense to start there, and that's that's the only platform that we support for right now. So before we dive deep into, I guess the future of digital publishing and what it means to to do what you guys are just talking about, I, I always like to dig into where you guys came from. So uh, kind of led the story off by saying. Um, you guys have a fun story about how you met, serving, doing some fun stuff. So uh, I'm not sure who wants to lead that story, but let's let's start with how you guys met and how you guys first started to to create uh, what is now Type Engine. Yeah. So this is Jamie. So Daniel and I, and I met years ago uh, doing Hurricane Katrina disaster relief volunteer work. I was living in New York at the time and had been for years. I was working in Prada in downtown Manhattan. And uh, some friends called. I knew Katrina hit down in, in Louisiana. Some friends called and asked if I knew how to write access databases. <laughs> and uh, sadly for me, I, I said, uh, yeah, sure. What, you know, what, do you, what do you need? I knew they were calling because of the disaster relief. And that night they emailed me this, this horrible access database that they had patched together uh, that was trying to like manage some, you know, the thousands of volunteers that were coming down and trying to manage some, you know, some of the sheltering information and stuff like that. And so long story short, uh, I wound up making the move back to Louisiana to do to do disaster relief volunteer work. And uh, and that's where Daniel and I met. We got a chance to meet. I got a chance to meet some like really, really cool people, really smart people from around the country, from around the world, really, uh, that were also coming to help out. And that, that's where Daniel and I uh, met, actually, and we worked together for a while doing that volunteer work. 
Yeah, this is this is Daniel. I um, uh, Jamie's right. Um, I, I got a similar story. You know, I um, had friends who uh, who were going down to help out um, through the same uh, the same kind of program. Um, I got asked to help out with uh, uh, user interface and user experience work on the software that they were building to try to try to manage um, all of the supplies and volunteers and all that kind of stuff. All, all of the behind the scenes work that goes into um, uh, you know, managing, um, really projects of that scale. So anyway, so, um, so I got asked to come down and help out. Um, and that's, that's where, that's where we met. We've been working together in, in some capacities ever since then. So you guys are kind of separated though. I mean, you were brought together by this disaster helping out. So, I mean, was there anything that kind of happened during that time that made you think like, ah, I could probably start a company with this guy or, I could yeah. probably, you know, get creative with this guy and, you know, make a product or release something or, you know, anything like that at all. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny you mentioned that because what wound up happening is, you know, we're down there doing this volunteer work. It's wonderful. Good for the soul. Um, and meanwhile, I had been doing software consulting for several years and I was starting, I was just getting more and more clients and I was starting to just turn down clients. And I said, wait a minute, there's all these really great software developers right here that uh, are now friends of mine that I know are really capable. And so I started hiring them to, to do my, in my mind, to do my work for me. And so that's where, that's where we started this consulting business from. And that grew and grew until, you know, now there's like 20 of us. And as Daniel mentioned, we've been working together in different capacities, sort of moving in the same circles ever since then for the past, what, seven years? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then late last year, Daniel and I, we, keep, we were always bouncing product ideas off each other. Like, what if we did this? What if we did that? And uh, late last year, Daniel gave me a call and said, what if we did this? And it was one of those moments like, man, that's a really great idea. Because there's nothing else out there that's doing that. In fact, Daniel tells it a lot better than I do. Um, but that's kind of like the genesis of, of Type Engine. I'll let him talk about it. Go ahead, Daniel. I mean, take the cue. Yeah, well, um, you know, I, it, it, we, we didn't set out, or I didn't set out anyway, to, to build a, a platform or, or anything like that. Um, I set out to make a magazine, you know. Um, I had, uh, had some ideas um, for a particular magazine I wanted to make, um, that I uh, started contacting writers about. Um, I got really frustrated with the tools that were out there. Uh, you know, pretty much the only the only options I had were to go the you know go the Adobe route, uh, make uh, PDF magazines, um, and even and and that wasn't something I was very interested in. Um, didn't like the tools. Didn't like the product that that came out of those tools uh, from what I'd seen. And, you know, so I was pretty frustrated and, uh, you know, and, and that's when, um, that's when the magazine came out. Um, and, you know, I saw that and I'm like, you know, this as a web designer and as someone who, who wasn't interested in, in making really huge bloated, uh, you know, bloated magazines, that was super refreshing to me. And, uh, and so that's kind of, that kind of got me thinking, you know, and, what can we do to make a really uh, lightweight, content-focused, um, more more digitally native uh, magazine? 
because um, I really felt like you know the the magazines that were out there on newsstand uh, for the first year or so of its existence, I felt I kept I keep on like comparing it to kind of the first era of multimedia websites. You know, yeah. you know, like I I feel like the the first year of newsstand apps are like the flash websites of the nineties. <laughs> You're so right on that too. <laughs> and and that was really frustrating to me. So anyway, so so it started, you know, making me think about like how can we how can how can I make a magazine? And then that grew to how can people like me make a magazine, right? And there's there really weren't any good answers. The barriers to entry um were and you know and are really high. Yeah. And uh you know so, that, so that's kind of where that's kind of where that started, and uh, so I got Jamie on the phone. Um, Jamie was already uh, planning to move up here to the Northwest, and so I uh, started pitching him on the idea. And he said, "No, that's a terrible idea. No, I'm just Don't kidding. do that." <laughs> no, he uh, he hung up on me, and then no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, he, we talked about it, and and we've been going ever since. Maybe he said, "Don't do that without me." Don't do yeah, that exactly. without me. <laughs> That sounds about right. So you said late last year was when, Daniel, when you pitched this idea to Jamie. What uh, what month might that have been? Just to paint the timeline a bit. The, by the time I pitched it to Jamie, I think it was. Uh, I think I initially mentioned it to him in late November, mm-hmm. and then he was right in the middle of moving at that time, and so December, I think, was when Jamie kind of came back and said, "Yeah, let's do it." And mid December or so. I know. Um, I'm not toot my own horn here, but I did hear about this before your announcements about the loop. I've been on your newsletter list for a while, and I don't know what made me sign up originally, like what brought me to to sign up. But I just recall uh, like an early uh, sign up form for your newsletter and what you guys are doing. And I'm like, oh, that sounds really interesting. Nobody else is doing that. Um, let me sign up. And then, you know, a couple, I think I saw. Do you guys remember tweeting back and forth with me a little bit? I remember I remember tweeting like maybe a month or two ago. Yeah. Um, I can't recall what it was, but it was something you said in your newsletter, and it made me tweet about it, and I referenced your newsletter. And I, ever since then, I've been excited about what you guys are doing. And I, you know, honestly, up until, you know, maybe just to get full disclosure out of here, I, I didn't really um, – you know, you'd mentioned the magazine and how that was inspiring. I hadn't really, you know, drawn the conclusion back to that and – until like most recently, really, until mm. you know some of the most recent drama of you know that newsletter that you guys wrote as the headline, which was did we just <laughs> rip off Marco Armand and the magazine? I mean, that was a pretty ballsy headline, but nonetheless, I mean, you guys got some <laughs> fun story to back that up, and that's what we love about the show is that you can come on and and uh, and share that story. So, what was the reaction to to that? Well, first of all, you forgot the holy crap. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, we that's started true. It off I did. With I, holy crap. I paraphrased. My bad. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we went around and around and around, having a lot of conversations about what are we trying to build. Um, obviously, when we looked at the magazine by Marco, it, what what are we? Twelve minutes in before we that. talked about Marco and the magazine. Uh, so when we saw when we saw the decisions that he made, like we really salute the decisions that he made. Um, he removed all of the cruft of these magazines, um, and he left what is essential to have a digital magazine. And when Daniel looked at it, when I looked at it, we said, "This is this is what the future of digital magazines is going to look like." 
right? Not not exactly like this, but like it's simple, and that's the way that magazines are going to look in the future. And when you say look, do you mean actually like look look, or do you mean uh, underlying infrastructure functionality? You know, download one yeah. app, get updated issues, that kind of thing. Is that what you mean by look? Yeah, I, th I think what we mean is the underlying structure. And I think um, actually Craig Maud's essay about subcompact publishing, I think really, um, really nails it where he where he talks about like what Marco built or what Marco defined anyway, was he peeled back digital magazines to to what essentially, um, you know, in the traditional publishing world is just a cover and pages. Like when you when you when you peel back all the all the stuff that that's thrown into uh, you know PDF style magazines, what's left? It's it's a container and the content, right? And so so I think that was that was the big insight that um, that Marco had with the magazine is that that content is what people you know that content is what is is what magazines should be about. And so the, the, the simplest, easiest way to get to the content um, in a way that gets out of your way, right? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so that's, that's, what, that's, I think that's what Marco did. And I think in, in a way that's, that's what we've, um, some of our underlying uh, direction has been too. To get out, basically to get out of the way of the reading experience. Yeah, get out of the way. I mean – I, I guess that that conversation there is only important in, in as much to say that for those of you who may um, have just learned about this or maybe even first heard of Type Engine and what these guys are doing because of Marco's Marco's post or some of the drama that spun up around you know this. I mean, there is inspiration everywhere. Yeah, um, yeah. And it was one of those things where we knew it was going to come up. Uh, the fact of the matter is we're not making a magazine. We're making a magazine publishing platform. Right. Uh, and, you know, if you have two simple things, right, one simple thing, one simple looking thing being uh, the magazine and another simple thing, perhaps simple looking thing being a magazine that we're, you know, was produced using Type Engine, simple things tend to look similar. And so we knew that the conversation was going to come up. And so we just said, you know what, let's just head the conversation off. Let's address it head on before it comes up. Um, and we phrased it in the form of a question, right? Did we just rip off the magazine? The implied answer is no, we didn't. Um, we, like, as you said, inspiration is everywhere. Uh, Craig Mod played a huge part in it. Uh, the magazine played a big part in it. And um, we're producing a system that allows platforms, uh, publishers, excuse me, to produce magazine apps that have their branding, right? That has their look. And uh, so we, we just sort of purposely produced a mock-up that was similar in its look to the magazine just, uh, you know, just to hit the issue head on. Yeah, you mentioned Craig Mott. I, I can't help but really appreciate that, uh, that article, Subcap, uh, Subcompact Publishing. And I think uh, public, publication date is right around the time you guys are starting to talk about this idea, which is November 2012. Mm -hmm. So not long ago. And he, I love the way he opens it up. And it's the truth. Um, but then, you know, everything fades away when he's done saying this, basically, and it all falls back on um, the magazine. And when I say the magazine, I mean Marco's the magazine. And he says, uh, zip drives, eight floppy disks, CDs, mm. eight zips, DVDs, eight CDs, SD cards, eight film, LCDs, eight CRTs. And he goes on and on and on. Um, a couple more lines only on and on and on. So three ons. <laughs> mm. um, 
and says tablets are eating our paper. And so then he says, imagine a table, hundreds of meters long, long and wooden, worn and oiled, uh, old and knotted, wide enough for a person. And he's just talking about all this leading up to what the future of uh, of this is going to be, this digital publishing platform. And it's, you know, Marco was the first one to do, I think, what, what you guys had said, which was peel back that layer of what is the cruft of a magazine? What is the cruft of a magazine in this digital space? Because we've seen the Daily come out. They had... They attacked the animal in a much different way. You know, they came at it from old school publishing style, which was a huge team of people and an iPad app. And they probably had really huge aspirations. But, you know, Marco, I think, just helped bring the conversation to the table. And uh, I think what I'm really curious about is, you know, what is it that got you guys really excited about it? So, Daniel, this was your idea. Jamie, you kind of came in because um, you guys had become friends over the years and really wanted to work together. But, you know what is it about micro publishing, publishing, and and all this that really gets you excited? What made you do this? Well, for me, it I've been interesting interested in web publishing, you know, since since the mid '90s, <laughs> you know, and um, my 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 first experiences with the, with the internet had to do with publishing. Actually, um, you know, our I'm I'm 30 years old, so I, I came of age, you know, in the mid '90s when when the web. Um, you know, when the web was growing and my first, you know, my first, uh, building a website and publishing experience was GeoCities. <laughs> I thought, I mean, as much Mine crap too, as I, honestly, it yeah, was right. Well, yeah. like, let's not, let's, let's get that out of the closet. Right. <laughs> um, you know, GeoCities gets, gets kind of unfairly dumped on, uh, these days, but for a lot of people, you know, our age, that was our first experience, um, being able to put something online, you know, um, I, our family never had, didn't have a computer uh, before then, so I missed out on the era of you know BBSs and, and and all that kind of good stuff. So so my formative, you know, um, uh, web years were all around you know hacking together uh, GeoCities websites and and band fan sites and you know publishing embarrassing short stories and making Radiohead fan sites and, and all that. <laughs> right, so. Um, so take, you know, take that now, what, 15, 18 years later, and uh, it, it's kind of the same desire, right? People, it, it's been a desire for hundreds of years. People want to publish. People have ideas. People want to be heard. So how do you, how do you publish? Well, that's been, that's been changing over the years. It's been changing for, for decades. Um, and... So in, in the age of, uh, of iPads, iPhones, um, mobile, you know, mobile devices in general, what's the best way to do that now in a way that you can, um, that you can access the most amount of people, but also have an opportunity to, uh, you know, to actually monetize your work. And, uh, the, the web has had, uh, you know, it has had an incredible, um, evolution of publishing platforms over the last 10, 15 years, uh, you know, WordPress, uh, I mean, Tumblr has been in the news. There's, there's a lot of ways to publish on the web. There's not a lot of great ways to actually monetize content on the web. Yeah, that's certainly true. I mean, that's the, I think that's the key crux of this really is, um, well, not the exact crux, but Mm -hmm. you're right. There's a lot of people that are, um, you know, creating very recognizable, uh, remarkable content and it's it, there's no shame in having content on the internet for free i'm not saying that 
every piece of content on the internet should be should be charged for. And if that was the case, then I mean, my lord, we wouldn't be able to do a Google search without paying to get there. For sure. Um, but uh, you know, there's at some point as a publisher. So let's you know let's you know bring it home for uh, for you guys at least um, to the loop. So Jim has been you know publishing the loop for years. He's been covering Apple News for many many. You know, many many years. He's had this idea for a very long time, and he's finally been able to execute it because of Type Engine. You know, and I kind of see what Jim has done with the Loop in a little bit different sense. And just because you mentioned GeoCities and banned websites and stuff like that, I've got to imagine that you guys have either got the natural experience in research or just in general have heard of it. But there's like this little movement way back in the day, and they're still around now. But they're called Zines. Just they took the mag out and they just put Z I N. Uh, yes, zines. And they're, you know, mostly they're just like a small circulation kind of self-published. And I kind of take that, uh, you know, that indie publisher with a, with some credibility, you know, with the, some geek cred on that, because mm -hmm. that's what the loop has, has kind of been pioneering with. And a lot of the, what they cover is, you know, what Jim and his editor, you know, really feel about. And a lot of it's, you know, some of it's Apple news, some of it's nothing to do with Apple at all, but it's Guitar kind news. of like a, <laughs> yeah, and it's kind of like um, it's very zine-like, and I see Type mm -hmm. Engine now as a vehicle to not only establish that on the web. I'm really curious about where you're going with the future because right now, like you said, it's it's uh, focused on making newsstand publishing easy. I can only imagine that once you've proven that model, you'll you'll you know go out into other areas. But you know, it takes an indie indie content creator, you know, a small team if it's a couple buddies who or whatever. And now you can publish on on uh, onto iOS on the newsstand and actually charge a subscription, which is a big deal. Yeah, you know I think your example of zines is is perfect. I mean, it, I I loved zines. It, like I I made some. Yeah, <laughs> in, in the late I did 90s. too, man. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm telling totally. you, I love that. We wanted to so badly create a, a zine and do all the art for it, and I mean. It never took off because we were stupid. We were kids, but it was a fun idea, and <laughs> I do it kind of now. Yeah, and why did you like? What was your? Um, why did you want to create a zine? Like, I think it's liberating, was, you know. I mean, yeah. you get to take your ideas and share them, mm -hmm. even as dumb as they might be. Or in my case, adolescent, because I was in high school. Um, I'm still friends with the guy. Uh, he lives here in Houston. We mm. we uh, we wanted to create this zine called Think, and uh, we had this logo all done for it and everything. And I think we were even writing for it, like. I don't know why, but it was kind of weird. I was just, I, I, uh, it might be odd for you to, to know this if you know me, but back <laughs> in high school, I was a skateboarder, right? Mm -hmm. I was a circle jerk, man. I had longer hair, you know, I had ripped up at knees, you know, I had holes in my jeans and I took and when it was time for Halloween, I didn't dress up. I went as me and I took my skateboard. I was just, <laughs> I, it was the one day I can actually take my skateboard to, to school. Mm -hmm. Got uh, suspension for one time, but that's a different story. But, mm -hmm. you know, why I loved it was that it was liberating. It was, uh, you know, it was, I don't know, I get to share my ideas. And I didn't have to pay anybody to do it. I was, it was free to put out. I just wanted to share what I was thinking. Yep. And so, so one of the, and so to go back to your question about, you know, kind of what, what drove us with this, what, um, you know, why we're doing it. There's so many amazing writers, amazing publishers out there who, who can't write an iOS application, Yeah, <laughs> you know, who, you know, who, who don't have the upfront resources to hire an iOS developer or even necessarily get started with, um, with some of the other, you know, Adobe based solutions, even if they wanted to. 
And so that's, that's like the thing that's driving us right now from a, um, from a why we're doing it perspective, you know, um, just in the, in the call in the last couple of months, since we started taking on some beta partners, um, I've been just amazed by the, the quality of content and some of the, uh, the niches that, that are being covered with some of the folks that are working with us so far, stuff that I'd never even considered before. I mean, there's mentioned maybe one or two, um, one of our, one of the next uh, folks who's going to be launching with us is, um, fellow by the name of uh, Thomas DeNewville uh, from uh, I Care If You Listen. His website's uh, icareifyoulisten.com. And he, he, it's a publication about contemporary classical music, which I didn't even know was a thing <laughs> right? <laughs> right. before meeting Thomas. How and did he define it? Classical oh, yeah, music. classical music that's made by people who are still alive. Yeah. <laughs> right. So... I mean, I had zero to little interest in classical music before meeting him. The quality of their content, though, and like the types of things that um, that I've been reading as I've been working with them in uh, in getting their their publication launched, has made it's like totally opened new musical horizons for me. <laughs> you know, I'm like I'm like looking at their uh, at their website to see you know their when their new mixtapes coming out, so I can. So I can check, uh, you know, check out music I'd never heard of before. And it's like one example of just, you know, thousands and thousands of independent publishers out there who are really taking their work seriously, but have, have no path to, to an iOS app to a, a, or to a platform that can allow them to, uh, to monetize their work. So that's what's really exciting to me. And let's can we key in on that for a bit though? Is this uh, this making a profit portion of it? You know, and mm-hmm. I put in my notes here in, in parentheses from your content. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like you had said, there's a lot of indie indie writers out there, or just small blogs that have very you know niche topics, but potentially a huge following. I mean, for the longest time, whenever I would go onto my iPad or when I would, whenever I would go to, onto my uh, iPhone, I would see newsstands sitting there. And I would literally just think to myself, "Why is it there? Because it's empty." You know, I think I <laughs> might have downloaded. That you've never opened. Yeah, I just I, exactly. I just moved it to a place because I'm like, I just don't use that. There's nothing in there for me. I don't know what it's doing there. So for the longest time, I was just thinking, you know, Adobe or uh, Apple's tools. Uh, from what I understand, I, I never tried to publish with them, but I, I can imagine they're not that easy to use because there's nothing in there. So that's that's point number one. But. <laughs> Um, you know, I think I downloaded Houston's Chronicle um, onto that, but their version was like some sort of crappy thing. Like you said, the, you know, the barrier to entry is learning how to develop an iOS app, and, and if you remove that barrier and you make it, you know, WordPress easy, for example, or Tumblr easy, for example, yeah, just to like you know go to WordPress.com or go to WordPress.org, pull down a copy, or you know create an account, or go to Tumblr and just name put fill some fields out if you make it that easy you've got so many pieces of content out there that that deserve an audience and people are probably clamoring for them and you got newsstand here just empty waiting for them to show up and and yeah it may not be a ton but maybe uh let's say for example that uh what was the the name of it again i i can't recall Uh, I care if you listen.com is one of them. I care if you listen.com. So mm-hmm. that one there, for example, let's say he starts out with a small audience of a, a couple thousand or something like that, and a, a small portion start paying for it. It's enough. It's that's enough it. to get going there, and he can start building, you know, even more on top of that. That's that's amazing. 
Yeah. And now these, you know, now people can, uh, that they have a little bit of income coming in for their content. Now they can afford to devote themselves to this topic or to this, uh, to this area that really interests them. And now you'll be able to see the content and that niche really get developed because people can afford to focus on it. You know, but let's, let's talk about, uh, I guess since we're talking about profit, let's talk about money. So you guys can't be building this thing for free. So there's gotta be some sort of cost to, to pay you for, uh, the platform, the services, what exactly is the platform? That's something I've never been able to glean from some of the, um, content you do have on your site, typeengine.com. But, um, what exactly is the platform? What are, when people use type engine, what exactly is it? Sure. Sure. So it's a, it's a website and it's a service, right? So type engine.net is the, oh, sorry, multi- .net, my bad. No, it's okay. It's all right. Typeengine.net, it is the uh, the multi-tenant CMS, right? So that's where you sign up for your account. And just as you mentioned, right, you sign up, you put in the name of your magazine, and five seconds later, you're, you're literally laying out your articles and your issues and stuff. Um, so it's an online CMS. Um, as far as, like, the, um, the content creation environment, you write in Markdown, which is a really nice, lightweight, flexible... Uh, you know, sort of markup lang- markdown language. And the important thing is that at that point now your content is decoupled from the styling, right? So that, you know, you're not uploading these huge PDFs anymore. Now you're able to type your content over here, give it a really light touch in terms of formatting, bold, italics, underline, stuff like that, pull quotes. And then in a separate location, you can set up how that content needs to be styled and presented in the various in the various formats, right? iPhone, iPad, things like that. So to answer your question, though, people lay out their content right there in Type Engine. Uh, they can download our Type Engine app from the App Store, log into the app using their credentials, and they can preview exactly how their magazine will look before they ever publish and before they ever pay us. And so they can play with their content, play with their styling, get it all just right. And then when they do want to ship their app, um, that's when we'll get some billing information from them. There's a $99 setup fee uh, for us to actually build their app for them. One of the interesting things, Adam, is that all of the apps are submitted under the publisher's iTunes account. Yeah, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. That is we're a big not, deal. We're not getting between you and Apple. And intercepting, you know, Apple's payments to you or anything like that. So the app is submitted under your account. You can submit, you know, obviously you submit as many as you want. Apple pays you directly. And what we're doing is we're getting some credit card information from the publisher. And at the end of the month, uh, we're charging based on how many downloads your magazine got. So we, we really worked hard and really, really like belabored the point of, how are we going to price this so that our pricing is really, really closely aligned with the publisher's success? We don't ever want to get into a situation where, you know, a publisher or a writer owes us more than they're making from Apple. Yeah. You know, that, that, that won't work. So you said download. So downloads doesn't mean subscriber though, right? Yeah, it, it is. It essentially does. I'll explain. Okay. So, uh, one of the core tenets of the subcompact manifesto, subcompact publishing manifesto, 
is that a, a publisher should be able to ship issues on their own schedule, right? And that's exactly the way that we've implemented it. So that if somebody wants to uh, do two issues a week or two issues a month or one issue a month, that, that's up to them. That's fine. Um, they can do that right through Type Engine. What we're looking for is we're covering our delivery charge, right? So if you're shipping two issues per month and you have one subscriber, then that means that subscriber is going to download two issues, right? And we're going to charge the publisher for delivering those two issues to that oh, subscriber. Oh, I see. So it's not I search for, you know, let's use a loop since they're the, mm -hmm. the first off the gate on your platform. So it's not when I install the loop magazine, it's on issues downloaded from inside the app. That's correct. Okay. That makes because a lot more sense. What we're doing is we're not charging the publisher for tire, we call them tire kickers, right? Somebody who downloads your app and just looks at, you know, leafs through the, the welcome article or anything like that. We don't, we don't charge publishers for that. Um, it, incidentally, we also don't charge uh, for a subscriber. Somebody, theoretically, somebody could subscribe, you know, and never actually want to download any of the issues for some reason. We only charge the publisher when people actually download the issue because that's when we bundle up the issue and, and go and deliver it over to that device. Well, that that makes uh, I mean that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you put the value in actually shipping something, then shipping a new episode or an issue or whatever yeah. terminology you want to use for that. Yeah, that to me makes a lot of sense. And the interesting thing is, we're also not imposing uh, any type of a pricing structure on the publisher. Some of our publishers are going to be uh, shipping their app with free subscriptions, right? So you might have you might have a company. Uh, and and their goal in producing a magazine is to perhaps talk all about their products and how wonderful they are, or they might have, a, you know, maybe a community newsletter or something like that, where they don't want the readers to have to pay for the subscription. Or there might be, you know, perhaps maybe some medical journal or something that's going to have a subscription that's that's really high, right? It might might be fifty dollars a month or something like that. In all of those cases, we don't we don't get involved in and we don't intercept any of those payment models. We're just watching for how many issues do we have to do we have to deliver for you? And if you have a million subscribers and we're delivering a million issues for you, then you know, our our bill to the publisher is commensurate with that. So theoretically, if the magazine or publication, whichever term you want to use, becomes successful, it could get it could get expensive, I guess, in in um I guess in relative in relativity to how much they actually ship and sell, but it's they always are making money to to pay you for for those fees. Right, right, and we also have created uh, another tier. That what I just described to you is what we call the indie tier. Um, right, almost no risk to the publisher. Right, their bill grows as as they make more money from their subscriptions. Right. Um. But we've also have a business tier where, you know, imagine American Express came to us and they wanted to make a magazine about keeping your credit score low or something like that. And they they don't want to be concerned with how many issues are downloaded and or if somebody just has reason to believe that they're going to, to hit such a download rate that they don't want to be paying per download anymore. So we have a, a business account that a publisher can sign up for that has unlimited downloads. They just pay once for the year and then they don't have to be concerned about how many downloads they're getting. They're not getting charged monthly for their downloads. Right. 
Well, I mean, that seems logical to have those two different tiers. Um, so you guys are in beta right now, right? I mean, it's a closed beta or is it an invite beta? What's the what term you're using for this? Uh, I don't know. Let's make up a term. Let's make up a term. Do it. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a fancy beta. It's a fancy beta. <laughs> I don't know. It's what it is. Is um, we a couple months ago when we um, when, when when we were ready to have kind of some some customer feedback. And we were ready to kind of learn from publishers who who wanted to create magazines. Essentially, we wanted kind of a, a, a pack of folks who um, who who had the same vision as we did um, that we could learn from, and and we could learn from each other, right? And so we could kind of shape the platform around what their expectations um, are and 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 have been. And so um, we put out a call actually on on app.net. Uh, I think it was two months ago. Um, uh, maybe slightly more than that um, for people who are interested in in partnering with us. Um, and so we we initially we initially wanted uh, you know five to ten, um, but we had a we had a pretty overwhelming response, uh, which was great to see. Um, and so we we ended up um, working with I believe our our total count right now is sixteen sixteen uh, sixteen publishers um, who we've been working with for the past couple months who are who are um, almost all getting getting fairly close to launching their magazines. And so it's been closed beta with those with those folks up until now. Um, looking and we wanted to publish their magazines and go through um, at least a month cycle with those folks before we open the platform uh, generally. So that's kind of that's kind of where we are right now. We're closed beta in that we're not taking uh, new users until um, until the public launch. Um, but it, it's production in that we're actually releasing uh, releasing magazine apps right now, and in fact, uh, uh, Jim's magazine, The Loop, of course, is the first one. Yeah, and I'm glad you kind of keyed off him just now because I was going to bring him back to Jim. So, um, I think Jim launched on a Thursday or a Friday, was it? Thursday. Thursday. So, you even went into the weekend. I think you even had some sort of app issue with subscriptions, if I recall correctly, and. You know, just to kind of give you uh, maybe a pat on the back with how you're working with your publishers, too, is that you guys were, you know, hacking away on Type Engine and fixing that bug and allowed him to ship over the weekend again a new updated version of it to fix that bug. So, I mean, that's really <laughs> awesome to see you guys staying that close to the publisher. Yeah, and well, Jim threatened us with our lives, so, you know, there's that. <laughs> protect yourself from the beard. He was going to hit us with his beard if he didn't fix it. So, I guess... Uh, you know, maybe Jim has already done it already. I, I haven't listened to, I've been meaning to catch up on a couple of the different podcasts he's been on here on five by five to maybe talk a bit more about this, but I haven't personally got a chance to catch up. So maybe you can uh, yeah. give him a bit, bit of a shout out. What has Jim's response been to what you guys have done with him in the loop? Well, yeah, Jim, I mean, Jim's just been amazing to work with. Uh, he's a, he's a really cool guy. Uh, he and I share a love of the blues. So half of the time that we're on the phone with each other, we're talking about music and the blues. Um, but when Jim reached out to us, it was in typical Jim nonchalant mess, you know, message on app.net. Hey, call me. I want to do a magazine. <laughs> That's how he reached out to us. And, uh, and when we got in touch with him, you know, we started answering his questions. He had a lot of very, very clear questions. Uh, he knew exactly what he was looking for, and it turned out that that the things that we were planning is exactly what he was looking for. And then he comes out with, 
but I want to go first. Uh, I want to be first. And we said, okay, well, are you sure you want to go first? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so he was, yeah, he, he did. He wanted to go, he wanted to go out first of the, of the launch partners. And, uh, and we agreed to that. How couldn't we, again, he threatened us with his beard <laughs> and, uh, and we worked real closely with him. We worked in, you know, in addition to working with all of our other launch partners, we worked really closely with him. He, uh, he came back with, with some, some nice feedback after a couple of early betas and some meetings and we've been in super close contact with him all through the launch. Now, of course, you mentioned the bug, and the bug was just a killer bug. Uh, when we launched the loop, uh, we launched it with a subscription bug, right? It was very, very difficult for us to uh, test this one thing, and we missed it. And uh, We shipped with a really bad bug. The bug was that you could install the app on your phone or on your iPad, obviously, and then you could subscribe. But then if you pick up your other device, your, your, you, imagine you subscribed on your iPhone and then you go and grab your iPad and you hit the subscribe button again, the subscription would not transfer over. It wouldn't follow you. Mm. Yeah, it was a bad bug. And it, Apple makes it extremely difficult to test this scenario in, before you actually get your app out into the, into the sandbox. Not an excuse, but, but we missed it. Um, so what we did was we fixed it, we shipped a fix, and the fix went out the next day, and that made it worse because now when people started the app, it would immediately crash. So it was sort of working until we fixed it. We scrambled again, um, and we finally got it fixed. It was a really, really vicious bug. What was interesting was what was interesting was we started doing some research because essentially what we were trying to do we were trying to restore people's subscription. That act of, of like having the subscription follow you on your other device is called restore subscription. We were trying to slipstream that into just the subscribe button. We figured you pick up your iPad, you hit the subscribe button, you should be able to, it should know, right, that it, that it needs to just restore your subscription. That part of it is like just will not work. It's, it's seemingly impossible to get that to work. And it's actually one of the uh, – we went back and found a tweet from Marco from back in February where he wrote, I'm formally giving up on trying to slipstream restore subscription under the single subscribe button. And when we said that, we were like, well, it looks like we're going to have to give up and actually create a restore subscription button as well, which doesn't make sense to us. But that, that's kind of the way we had – it has to be done for now. And uh, we got that – we got that shipped and – Fortunately, everyone's happy again. But the point is, is that he, I mean, so it, for those listening to the show that have not developed software, let me just say that software development is tough. It is not easy. Man. It is, <laughs> I mean, if it were easy, uh, you, you wouldn't be building a platform to make it easy to not have to do iOS development. So, I mean, that's just a testament to itself. But, you know, the point isn't, you know, to hey call you out that you shipped with a bug. It's... um. You know, I think it's just that the point is, is that at least the, that I was trying to bring up was that, you know, you were, you know, kind of like there with Jim the, in, the entire time supporting whatever the, the concerns or issues were. It wasn't, oh, well, that, Jim, that's your problem because, you you know, you're tied and, and based on your business model, at least, you know, mm -hmm. you're tied 
relationship-wise, financially, to a successful publisher. And I think that's a, that's a really, really smart move, especially when you're platform, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. – uh, so if if um, if you're listening to this show now, I think this is episode uh, 43, right? So last episode, 42, was Dalton Caldwell. App.net, you mentioned App.net, and uh, you were just talking there. But that's the same philosophy that uh, Dalton's got with App.net, you know, third-party developers, is that – um, you can't be against them. You have to be for them. So everything they do has to, you know, everything that that they can do, um, you know, should benefit you and, and everything you do should benefit them. So, you know, in your case, it's the same thing. Like your your business models are directly aligned with one another's success. I mean, that's to me, that's yeah. that's really smart. It's interesting you, br- you bring that up about app.net, too. I mean, like I mentioned before, Jamie and I are both really early adopters of app.net and it's been one of the best social media um, experiences I've ever had. It's, it's a terrific community, but their part of their business model is that people are willing to pay for good things. You know, yeah, it's true. And um, and I think that's that's a bet that we're taking with Type Engine, and and more than us are the publishers that are working with us. Um, they're betting that people will um, support uh, great quality content, and, uh, and and I think that I think that's true. Um, and, and so we'll, we'll see how that goes, but but I'm I'm confident that uh, uh, that, that that people will uh, support good good content. So let's can we talk a bit? I, mean, I don't want to veer too far away from. I do have one more question on the the pricing, but I want to come at at it from a different angle than just saying you know to what relationship is the pricing. But I'm kind of curious of the response that you've gotten from beta testers, not so much just in in the pricing model itself that you guys have come up with that totally makes sense how we just talked about it but at the same time you know what type engine is and and how it works for them what's been the general response from these 16 that you're working with yeah that's a great question so we've gotten a lot of really good feedback um we had a launch party here in seattle uh, a couple of weeks ago jim was that jim was here for that and we focused on the launch partners that were able to come in for it at the launch party. We all put them on the stage one after another and just had them talk about what they were doing, what, you know, about their voice, about why they wanted to make a magazine. And we specifically told them, just don't make this into a commercial for type engine. Just, just talk about why you're making a magazine and what you want to do. And they, they all wound up like sounding like a, a commercial for type engine, despite us asking them not to. But anyway, one of the comments that we kept hearing was how easy it is. They kept saying that word. It was just so easy. It's been really easy to do this. Um, you talked about WordPress earlier. And one of the, the ladies who's our launch partner at Idea Incubator, Stephanie, she made the comment. She works for, for a publishing agency. And she made the comment that she was able to create three issues of her magazine in one day. And this is this is coming from a company who's investigated pretty much all of them, uh, Adobe DPS, just just all of them. And her experience was that it was taking her three to four days just to do one issue. And she was able to lay out three entire issues in one day. So we're proud of the fact that it is easy to use. Um, We're proud of the fact that it's, you know, kind of a light touch and when you think about it, it makes sense because when you open up Newsstand and when you use Newsstand apps today, they're just, you know, most of them are these four and 500 megabyte issue downloads that are just 
goodness knows how many different versions of different orient, oriented PDFs are in that issue. Uh, they're so bloated. And wait, if you're going to make a magazine that's in a PDF form, well, what do you have to do? You have to have a, uh, a portrait for iPad, a landscape for iPad. You have to have a portrait for iPhone, a landscape for iPhone. You have to have all these different images and all these different layouts to support these, those different viewports and orientations. And it winds up just, you know, nothing's adaptive. Um, and it's just so much work. That, that was one of the points that we got from, from Stephanie, that particular launch partner, is that it was just so much more work when you have to do it that way. So it was really important for us to make Type Engine run on adaptive content that's easy to create. Yeah, and I think maybe this is Daniel. I'll kind of answer that maybe from a different perspective too, more from a um, access and, and pricing standpoint. Um, I'll give an example of one of the launch partners that I've been working with a lot this week. Um, uh, Chad Perriman is his name. Um, he runs, uh, along with a, a, a great team, um, runs a website called uh, BrightWallDarkRoom.com, uh, and it's it's a um, it's kind of it's a, it's a film magazine, but it's a very personal film magazine, and they write like long form essays about about film, but from a it's not like a film review website, right? It's not like let's let's review the films that are out this week. It's it's taking a, a longer look at film and, and kind of people's personal um, their personal feelings about about the role of film in their life. Anyway, um, they they have like one hundred eighty thousand followers on on Tumblr on their website. Terrific content. Like I, it took me longer to work with um, helping them design their template because I was too busy like reading all their articles again and again, <laughs> you know, and, um, but their problem was their problem wasn't the quality of the content. Their problem wasn't, um, an audience ready and willing to support them. Their problem was they didn't have the resources. You know, these are people who have jobs and, uh, and work every day and they and did this, this was a passion project, you know, um, a passion project that was just ready to be taken, uh, to the next level. Right. And so, they needed a way to um, they needed a delivery system, and they needed uh, they needed payments, right? So they needed to monetize their content, and they they didn't they couldn't afford you know hiring an iOS developer and, and spending tens of thousands of dollars uh, to develop an app. Um, they they didn't financially, and and just they weren't technically you know they weren't in the space that they could do that, right? And so I'm really proud of being able to. Um, help someone like that. And that's, I think, you know, that's a lot of the, the feedback that we've gotten so far is people in that situation um, who now have access where they didn't before. So what's the, what's the pricing angle that you were talking about in that? Oh, just the fact that, um, that there's little barrier to entry in, in working with us, that you can start from literally uh, the $99 um, app submission fee and then your first month service and, with that, you can have an app in the App Store. So this, um, so ninety nine bucks basically to get started because you had a set up fee to basically build the app and ship it off to uh, Apple for approval and all that good stuff. Exactly. What what is the the ongoing monthly or the you know per issue or per download, however you want to term that? What is it in contrast to? Is it based on what they charge per subscription, or is it based on a, a fee, or is it kind of like credit card fees? Is it like two point nine percent plus thirty cents, or what is it? No, it's very simple. It's a, a one-time $99 app submission fee. 
um, a $25 a month, uh, just flat account fee, and then uh, $0.15 cents, um, per uh, per issue download. So, I mean, if you're getting, let's say, just if we use the magazine's example or even the loop, I believe the loop is the same amount, a buck ninety nine per per issue or per month, I believe. So, I guess if the loop ships off too, then they're getting per download of that month, they're getting roughly two bucks minus Apple's mm-hmm. fee and Apple's take and credit card fees and whatever. And sure. then, uh, but they're, they're shipping two issues that month. So that means two downloads per subscriber, roughly 30 cents cost mm-hmm. on that subscription fee for that month. That's right. right. Yeah. Okay. Just making sure I got the math right. I mean, that, I mean, even 15 cents a download seems pretty, pretty reasonable. I guess if you make the assumption that um, the loop might be uh, an outlier where there's two issues per month, um, you know, that's just half, how they have to might have to line up their subscriptions and their intake of cash in a different mm-hmm. way that meets up with, you know, something that actually attributes to downloads, you know, per right. issue, for example. And there's no one pricing model that will fit everybody's no. uh, scenario perfectly. And we've, we've battled with that, but, um, you know, I think where we've landed right now is makes the most sense for the most people. So what was it that, um, I mean, I'm always curious how people decide to price things. What was it that you guys, as I know, me personally, I've done this a bit, and I just racked my brain. Because once you make the decision, it's like, okay, this is what we're going to do. And then you can't like change your mind too much, I guess, afterwards if you made a big mistake on pricing. But what was the exercise you guys went through to figure out what you should charge? Agony. <laughs> Spreadsheets, uh, arguments, Sweat. what? <laughs> Boxing gloves. <laughs> um, well, basically, I mean – Without going too too deep into it, I mean, there's there's a limited amount of hooks that you can attach your pricing to, um, especially given our decision to not get in the way of uh, of a publisher's direct relationship with Apple. In other words, um, we don't even necessarily even see how much money um, or you know how much in, excuse me how much revenue a publisher is making because we don't have access to that information. Um, it's it's the publisher's iTunes Connect account. Um, they, you know, they get paid directly from Apple. If they choose to, we never even see their revenue. Um, so, so that precludes the notion of, of charging a, a percentage of revenue simply because we're completely out of that equation, right? So any, any platform that charges you based on a percentage of revenue, there's an implication that you have to consider that they're, um, that they are a middleman between you and Apple, Right. In, ter- in terms of, of, of finances. Um, so that's, that's, that's a line we weren't willing to cross. And so because of that, there's, um, you know, there, there's only so many hooks you can attach your pricing to. And we looked at every single one of them. And, uh, and, and issue downloads seems to make the most sense for the, the most scenarios. Yeah. I, uh, maybe I'm harping on this a bit too long, but I'm just – personally, I get uh, crazy about math since we're talking about it. But so mm-hmm. if we – if we use your inspiration as an example, so the inspiration being being the magazine known for roughly 25,000 subscribers, if they were producing the same magazine um, through your platform, you know, we're talking about 25,000 times 15 cents, basic math says $3,700 ish would be mm-hmm. their fee to you, plus 25 bucks for a monthly fee. If you, if you have numbers approaching the magazine, we should talk business account. 
Okay, I would so say. much much different then. So on the business side, and we don't have to go too deeply. I'm just really mm-hmm. curious about this because I love talking about how people come up with costs, and I'm not trying to bring all this to light here on the show. I'm just trying to. Yeah, no, definitely. You know, I mean, because yeah. it's it's a new thing for everybody. I mean, yeah, sure. When, for example, if you go to WordPress.com or Tumblr, they don't have that kind of pricing model. They're charging you for themes or mm-hmm. ads or some other way, you know. Or in the case of WordPress.com, they're charging you for upgrades, you know. So uh, I just wonder, you know, is it per – and like you had said, your relationship is uh, – your financial success based on working with your publishers is based on their success. And hopefully their success is based on shipping more. Right. And it's a, I think we wanted to design a virtuous cycle, you know. We're incentivized to make yeah. good decisions on behalf of publishers. Publishers are incentivized uh, to do, you know, they're already naturally incentivized to um, to be successful. And so um, so we, we wanted to make sure that our pricing is as aligned as possible uh, with publishers' success without without being a financial middleman between Apple and, and publishers. Yeah. Yeah, because Apple, you know, Apple has an interesting view of – one company submitting all of their clients' applications under their own account. At some point, Apple begins to call that spam, right? Where you're spamming the store with, yeah. you know, all of, you know, okay, you've got, you've got 35 magazines and you've submitted all 35 of these magazines that are your clients under your own account. Uh, yeah, at, at some point, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Apple has something to say about that. And so that's why we knew right away that, a, we want to be the publisher's best friend, right? We're just we're in the background, we're enabling the publisher, but we're not about building, you know, our brand by standing on the shoulders of this publisher. Yeah. We're we're just enabling the publisher to produce their magazine, build their own brand, and you know, to be honest, nobody even needs to know that that this is a type engine magazine app. Right. And that's that's one of the things that all these other business models, they they kind of fall down in that regard. That there, there always is this side of the fact that there's this tool that is building their own brand, right? By standing on the shoulders of the content creator. Look at, uh, not to call anybody out, but look at what Flipboard is doing, right? Um, with their magazine, you know, they, they just came out with these ability to create magazine. And I'm doing air quotes when I, when I say the word magazine. I'm sure you are. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm making it with you. Yeah. So it's, it's great, right? It's, it's a great tool. What they've made is, is wonderful. Um, but those, those magazines exist squarely in the context of the Flipboard brand, right? There's, there's no way for somebody to just make a magazine in that situation that doesn't build the Flipboard brand. And if somebody wants to read this magazine, they have to open Flipboard. So I mean, maybe um, since we're on that subject of like mm-hmm. what they you know what and then sometimes to the best define who you are and what you do is to define what you aren't right and that's kind of what yep. you just did there was you know you named them but nonetheless you know we're not doing this you know, mm-hmm. we're not gonna we're not standing in your way we're just the facilitator we're we're the middleman for lack of better terms we're the underlying infrastructure that makes this a, a possibility does anyone ever when when you're in these conversations like you're in with me and you're on five by five, is it does anyone ever ask you if you're you know? And I think WordPress can be used just because they're so freaking popular, like mm-hmm. tons and tons. I mean, seventy five thousand, seventy five million or more websites on WordPress. I think is probably the number nowadays. But do you ever get compared to like you're the WordPress for newsstand publishing, for example? 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All the time. It's because I mean, it seems a lot like that. Yeah. Like you have one separate place where you put your content. You have one separate place where you manage your appearance and theme, and then somehow they come together. And I imagine that theme dictates dictates a bit. You know which content gets pulled and how it gets displayed, and so mm-hmm. it seems a lot like the same kind of model, but. Instead of the web being your publishing platform and, and going to, you know, mydomain.com, you're going to the app store, you're searching for the loop or whatever magazine uh, or zine, if you want to go back in the mm-hmm. day, uh, that you've published and you're pulling that down. And the publishing platform is to an iOS app that pulls data from, you know, typeengine.net and the back end that they publish to. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, don't, I don't think that's a... I take that as a compliment, you know. Yeah. Um, I think uh, WordPress has has done amazing things in terms of giving um, giving publishers and, and writers a voice on the web. Um, I've used WordPress for years, and and uh, you know, there's uh, there's you know there, there's a lot of different tools that do that, but but WordPress, you're right, is by far the most popular, and uh, and I think that's that's a compliment, you know. Yeah, I mean, I would have used. I'm not not naming others like Tumblr for that reason. But to me, it, it seems like, okay, WordPress makes the most sense because you publish your content in one place, you manage your theme in another. Um, and I'm, and I even mentioned just managing themes because you have, uh, at typeengine.net slash dev, you have article template docs that talk about all your different, uh, tags, uh, where you can pull out author websites. So, I mean, I'm not sure if uh, we can dive into this, but it seems like um, themes are developed in, in HTML, CSS, and JavaScript is my first guess. Yep, very true. Yeah, that's correct. And it was important to me that um, uh, well, there's a couple of different levels to this. One is that um, I wanted to to make – so we're, we're kind of going up one level um, from – uh, from content creators and publishers now, right? It's it's actually now we're talking about uh, theme developers, and so I wanted to make sure that um, that being able to, to create a really nice custom look for for your new standout was accessible to as 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 wide of an audience from a design standpoint as possible too. Um, and so, how do you do that, right? And 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 I think that the that's where the the comparison to WordPress is really helpful and in other content management systems in that. Um, you know, we've decoupled uh, content from uh, from style, and um, you know, be in giving giving web designers and developers tools that they're already used to uh, to style the new stand app is um, I think is really cool. I mean, I'm not an iOS developer at all, um, and and using the tools that we've been that we've been building has enabled me to have to design and develop. I think some really nice uh, themes, and I think you'll start seeing some of those custom themes um, come out in uh, uh, with with the next several apps that we'll be releasing. Um, like I mentioned, uh, I care if you listen, and and Brightwall Darkroom um, are two that we'll be releasing over the next uh, over the next week. And uh, you know, I think that that those those look terrific, and um, and I'm excited to I'm excited to start talking to other. Uh, you know, maybe even WordPress theme developers who will find our tools uh, very similar, you know, or, or at least familiar. And uh, I'm excited to have, you know, even, even if uh, a third-party marketplace of, of themes uh, come into existence. Anything to make um, the the platform more accessible to writers and publishers, um, I think I think is a good thing. 
Yeah, so based on what you guys are saying there, it, it sounds like, so originally the conversation was you're reducing or lowering the, lowering the barrier to not have to develop an iOS app. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it, it can get probably as complex or as hard as you may, may like it to get with Type Engine because mm-hmm. you can come out the gate with potentially some of your default or stock themes, for lack of better terms, tweak some yep. colors, font types, uh, typefaces, uh, all, all that different stuff, maybe margin on the right and left or something like that. So you could probably do some finessing with like one basic or two basic themes. But if you really wanted to get uh, crazy, you could potentially... Just like you could with WordPress, I mean, same concept, right? They ship with a theme that makes sense, but and you can tweak and turn that one uh, just the CSS CSS level. But exactly. it sounds like here you can you've reduced the barrier, but you've also raised it back up a little bit because, um, but by a good nature, because now you've opened up a pen- potential for more revenue to come from theme development. Which, mm-hmm. in my opinion, I think that's really awesome. I'm not even that. My my question after that wouldn't be. Um, wouldn't be about third parties. It would be why wouldn't um, that be something that you guys take on yourselves as a as a business model, part of revenue? And actually, that's a good question. I mean, we have been to some degree, not not in terms of of, of a business model quite yet, but we've actually been been developing, helping our launch partners with their theme development. You know, as as part of uh, as part of their um, working with us uh, in the beta program. Um, as well as to you know work out bugs and work out um, yeah. usability issues and, and all those kinds of things. So, um, so we definitely have been um, working with with publishers already in that regard. And um, you know we'll we'll see what we uh, we'll see what we can do. We're we're, we're primarily um, focused on uh, on making the platform as good as possible, um, and that, that's our core line of business. But um, you know we're definitely going to be creating uh, some. Uh, some themes that are uh, freely available and, you know, there, there's more to talk about probably in, in the near future in terms of, uh, of other options. Yeah. And it's, and it, it, it's interesting that you mentioned, you know, you talked about WordPress, WordPress themes and stuff like that, because just like WordPress is used just everywhere, all over the internet by independent bloggers and things like that. It's also used to run really large websites. I mean, uh, right. Some of the New York times, um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, Forbes, um, big sites use it. Yeah, absolutely. I can has cheeseburger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, and, and it's the same thing for, for, for type engine, right? Where, whereas New York times and, and, uh, uh boing, boing, they're going to go out and they're going to create their own WordPress themes. Um, they're going to tweak them and they're going to be, you know, possibly highly stylized or an independent blogger who just wants to be up and blogging in five minutes it serves both of those interests. And that's that's exactly how we've designed Type Engine. So that if an independent writer, somebody wants to just create a magazine really quickly, choose from one of the stock themes, as you mentioned, that that can happen. Five minutes later they're writing their first their first article in their first issue. Um, or if somebody like CNN or New York Times wants to have, you know, a newsstand app with us, well we've published all of the all of the styling guide so that they can produce their own their own highly stylized uh, article theme, as well as you know, branding for the for the navigation and things like that. So, for the designer listening to this show, you know, we have a lot of designers listening to this show, just really interested in founder stories and uh, even what you guys are up to. But for that that type of person, the person that could be potentially this uh, target market for your theme developers, for example, 
Um, so the magazine came out, it, you know, let's say designed because it definitely was designed. But mm-hmm. at the same time, it was very minimally designed. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for people who are thinking about themes for type engine in the future or different styles you could do, can you actually – do you have plans to do more in-depth, like more visual-looking designs? Because I think that's a, one of the reasons why you know, maybe not lots of people look at, as you mentioned earlier, Adobe Digital Publishing Suite. Mm-hmm. But you know, they're used to it, right? They're used to being mm-hmm. in InDesign. They're used to shipping PDFs. So that's what they're used to. They don't understand that you know, probably shouldn't ship a 200-megabyte or 500-megabyte <laughs> uh, magazine. That's probably a bad thing for – I mean, one, it probably takes forever to download. Two, it's just huge on the pipes. So somebody's got to serve that content, right? I mean, it's, mm-hmm. somebody's going to pay the piper for that one. But um, And you can't download that over cell connection. Right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, so if you're – if you're anywhere that's not at home with Wi-Fi, then you might you might be uh, just waiting to get that content later. But mm-hmm. so for that person, the person who's potentially this theme developer, how how eccentric, how crazy can you get with a theme, for lack of better terms? How magazine like can you get through Type Engine? Well, what's a magazine, right? <laughs> it kind of goes back to that, right? It depends on well, what you mean. Well, let's talk about like layout. That's what I'm really right. keying off is like right. somebody who's thinking, you know, I want to tweak and turn layout, you know, on a, mm-hmm. you know, per issue basis. Is that possible? Is it, do you even care about that? Yeah. And actually you can. Um, so a couple of different layers and, and again, you know, not to go too, too crazy deep into feature tour type stuff. Right. But, um, but there is so you can create um, you, know, you can associate custom uh, CSS with your template. You can use um, as many templates as you like um, in in your issues. So you can you can have several different templates you can use within the context of one issue, right? So you can have different templates that you've developed for different uh, types of articles. Um, you know, Jim, Jim's magazine in, in that way is relatively simple because. Um, uh, and 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 good good for it too, you know, because the, all of his articles are roughly the same style of of, of article. They're all, um, you know, mid length uh, essays. Um, so for him, we didn't really need to um, create uh, custom um, article types or custom article templates. Excuse me. Um, out, you know, except for except for the one. Um, but if if a publisher had a desire to have a different look and feel. Um, or different structure uh, for different types of articles, um, they can definitely do so. And then going one level deeper from from the template perspective, we've also built in um, tools so that you can actually have um, article-specific CSS um, that's injected directly um, for on an article basis. So, you know, I th- a lot of people call that you know, art-directed articles, right? Yeah. Um, so there's, there is that possibility too. So, um, so you can get, you can be as, as simple as you like, um, or at go as in depth as you like. Yeah. And, you know, so for example, we've got, um, you know, type engine supports video, it supports images, it supports audio. Um, it's interesting. Some of our, some of our launch partners are, are making magazines and they're, they're doing the audio so that. Uh, for accessibility purposes, uh, a reader can actually hit the button and uh, have the article read to them, but not using like the computer voice. It's actually an audio asset that's embedded in the article that will read the article out loud. Um, 
Daniel mentioned that a couple of our launch partners are vi- are making video magazines. And so this entire article, this one article will be just a video. And then so they can set up like a video article template that all of their video articles will fo- will have the same template and then they can set up just a long form template so that the next article in the same issue won't be a video. It'll be, you know, a medium length or long form essay. And it just, you know, uses that same template. Yeah. I mean, hearing this part of the conversation. So if you, you know, when we first heard of the call, we, we were talking um, just because I wanted to get the the uh, the proverbial elephant in the room mentioned <laughs> um, only because you self-proclaimed it yourself. Right. Like, uh, holy crap, that we just rip off, you know, the whole thing. <laughs> and at this point, you know, it's clear if it's not if it hadn't been clear before for anybody listening to this entire show. Um, if it wasn't clear up until this point, I think it, it does, you guys just provided that uh, last final bit of clarity that, you know, this is a platform. It's not sure it was inspired by and you guys say that. But, man, I mean, hearing that part, too, and having that ability, because it's just I mean, it, we keep using the WordPress analogy, but it seems very similar to that relationship to the publisher, because, sure, you can go to WordPress.org, download a version of it, install it to a server. Those are pretty uh, easy tasks for even somebody who isn't a, a web developer, a web designer, for example. Mm-hmm. Pretty much anybody can do that these days or go to WordPress.com and whatever. But, you know, you can go even further as a publisher and start doing theme stuff. So the barrier is still lowered, but you even have the ability to go in and make your own template. And having audio and video as a, as a part of that is, is awesome. And, and the fact that you guys built on top of your theming on top of HTML, CSS, and JavaScript just means that you're smart. Right? <laughs> I guess so. You know, why would you want to do it any other way? Or yeah. I'm too dumb to learn iOS. There you go. I mean, <laughs> so, I mean, that's, I think that's really a, a smart move. Um, yeah. Well, some of our launch partners are actually getting their own designers uh, involved, right? They don't, they don't want to sit around and wait for us to make their template for them. We've given them the documentation, and they right. ha- they're having their designer go off and do it. Which I'd is- be the same way, man. If you if I was a launch partner, I would I would be the same way. I'd be like, just give me the keys to the kingdom, show me show me where to put stuff, and let me go. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly right. Yeah, that's that's really awesome, though. So I wasn't really expecting to get that deep into product with this one, but <laughs> and I know I think even in an earlier call I said I probably wouldn't, but I couldn't help it. Once we got there, I just had to keep going. So. Yeah. Hope you don't. Hope you don't mind. Did we talk talk enough about um, your guys' vision of democratizing publishing and and what that means to you? Uh, yeah. I mean, even at our launch party, we talked about this. Uh, you know, why why are we doing this, right? And it's and it's because we're fans. We're fan. We're fans of the the voice that that these writers have. That you know. You know, we, I can just imagine somebody being at home, you know, writing on their blog and trying to get advertising for their blog or trying to engage in the dark art of web subscriptions, uh, you know, and, and just not being able to devote themselves to this niche the way that they would like to. Um, and hopefully, hopefully this tool that we're making is, is just going to break down that barrier for them. Something interesting to think about, um, you know, thinking about newsstand. Right, thinking about also kind of iBooks for for from Apple. Apple came out with iBooks; it was great. And then, not that long later, they came out with the iBooks authoring tool set. Yeah, because 
it's it's the same problem. Well, these authors, they don't they might not necessarily have the technical jobs to go out and 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 put this thing together and be able to get it into the store. And so they came out with the iBooks authoring tool. Um, you look at newsstand and it's, you know, it's full of these these mon- monstrous, you know, PDF magazines and it's because of that same problem, right? Where's the where's the authoring tool? Where's the where's the tool to help the writer get their magazine out onto onto newsstand? Um, you know, not saying that not saying anything that you know Apple has neglected anything, but hopefully this tool is going to be able to fill that gap without getting in the way. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, we talked quite a bit because I have a lot of hacker in me. I mean, I also run another show here on Five by Five called The Change Log, and if you don't listen to it, I won't say you're wrong, but. Maybe you're a little bit wrong. Five by five TV slash changelog if you're not subscribing to that one. But uh, you know, so the hacker me wants to ask you a bunch of questions about theme hacker development and stuff like that. But at the same time, you know, you can hop into uh, assuming you're part of this uh, these this launch partner list or and or soon to be beta user lists that uh, you'll be bringing in. But I mean, theoretically, like you said with uh, your example earlier, was that you can jump in, you can jump in and publish your issue for this month or this magazine in a, in a, under a day's time yeah. without ever, having ever to touch code. And, you know, it's ready for you guys to package up into an app and ship and subscribe to and all that good stuff. So, I mean, that's, to me, that's, that's pretty amazing. But, uh, gentlemen, at this, uh, at this point in the show, I want to ask you a couple kind of routine questions. Uh, I have a lot of fun with them, but I'm really <laughs> curious. And, uh, uh, Daniel, we'll go first with you on this one. Unless you sure. guys have the same uh, answer, then you guys can go the same unanimously at the same time if you want. I, I'm not. <laughs> I don't have a problem with that. Um, but uh, being new founders yourself, uh, Jamie, in your case, you've been a founder for a while. Daniel, you've run your own um, your own your own business for a while there with your creative shop. But who is or who who do you look up to as a founder? Who's your founder hero? Well, I think. It's kind of a tough question, um, but I think that the folks that, that I've kind of looked up to the most as I've been working on Type Engine, um, because going from consulting to to a product focus demands a different skill set. Um, it's it, frankly, it's a lot harder because you know you tend to be your own your own worst critic. Um, you can be paralyzed by all the you know hundreds of things that have to be done. Um, it's just infinitely harder when, when you're putting yourself out there rather than being hired to, um, you know, to, to work on somebody else, somebody else's vision. So I think, I think the folks that I look up to the most are the, you know, the founders of, uh, of 37 signals, um, for me, um, they have a, they have a terrific uh, product focus. Um, they know, they know how to focus, they know how to, uh, how to deliver uh, what their customers are um, are looking for, and they and I think they really excel at customer service, you know. And those are all things that um, uh, that, that I really admire, and um, you know, and they're and they're not afraid to uh, to have a vision and stick to it, even in the face of um, controversy or you know or, or any other uh, or any other uh, voices, right? So I think I think that's what I would say for me. If you all hear my dog barking in the background, sorry about that. Sometimes he was just a, he was just agreeing with me. <laughs> yeah, I think he was. His name's Toby, by the way. Toby, you're agreeing, right? So he just answered, "Yep, that's it." So for the first time on this show, Toby makes his 
cameo appearance. <laughs> uh, that's that is awesome. I'm huge, huge fans of of Jason and the team he's built over there. David as well. Uh, mm-hmm. One of my good friends, uh, Chase Clemens. He's he runs their support, so I know how passionate he is about support. Um, and he, you know, he's a huge part, huge crux of the reason why their support team does so well. And you're right, man. They they really focus on. I mean, they bo- they wrote the book on constraints, for lack of better terms. <laughs> Getting real was all about constraints, right? Yep. So Indeed. absolutely. So Jamie, how about you? Founders hero. Uh, so don't laugh, but I would have to say my mom. You can laugh now. She uh, found. She founded Jamie. <laughs> she, found, she founded Jamie. I wasn't uh, gonna laugh because I don't think it's really funny. But then I was thinking, should I laugh? Is it supposed to be funny? No, <laughs> it, it, no. I'm actually serious. Uh, so, yeah, my mom. She uh, she taught me. She taught me about business. She taught me how to talk to people, and she taught me how to how to start with something that you're passionate about, something that you love. My mom was a, a an antique, a rare books, an antique book. Uh, dealer and it sprang out of her own personal you know deep love of of books and and uh and antique books and it was just her passion and she just turned it into a real successful business um and she uh she did a lot for me in helping me to understand that when you're transparent with people when you're real with people honest with them uh people respond to that and when you do your best to, to help people um i mean she she had a business selling rare books around the world. She got to the point because her reputation was out there. People from around the world would literally send, just mail her an unsolicited book along with a bill because they knew that she wanted it uh, and vice versa. And it, and it was all because she had real personal contact with her customers. Uh, she referred to them as friends and you know, she knew how to, she knew how to talk to people and, and treat people right. And uh, and be empathetic to their to their situations. And if you can do that with your clients, then then you're going to be successful. So yeah, I'd have to say my mom is my founder's hero. Well, uh, in the interest of your mom, I wouldn't understand why we should laugh at that because it sounds like she's a fantastic mom, man. Oh yeah, awesome. Yeah, that's that's uh, e- even more so that uh, you know. Hopefully, your mom's listening to this, and or it maybe just even the last part. You know, <laughs> if anything, like mom, just listen to this. Last 10 minutes. That's all you got to get. And you're good. And you're good. That's, that's me to you, mom. Um, that's awesome, man. Cause you know, I think, um, you know, this day and age, it parents are so crucial to a a child's success as a human being. Right. I mean, the kind of person they're going to be, the kind of interest they're going to have. And, you know, I know for me personally, just to get a little personal, because you mentioned your mom, I'll get personal too. Uh, Mm -hmm. my dad passed away when I was really young. So I, I lived my life with just a mother but she was a rock solid mom, you know, mm-hmm. and I totally know where you're coming from. And that's super awesome that you can come on a show like this and just, uh, and thank her like that. That's, that's, that's the bomb. Yes. So let's, uh, let's talk about maybe what's on the horizon. I know we talked about quite a bit about type engine, what you, where you guys kind of came from, what got you to where you're at, where you're going, hopefully, um, democratizing publishing and what that means for the indie developers out there. Sorry, the indie writers out there. Um, just when I say indie, I think indie developer for some reason. I was saying that earlier, <laughs> but the indie writers out there. So, what's uh, for someone listening to the show now? Tell them what's what's on the horizon. What's something that no one knows about that you mm. guys can announce here today on this show? 
So I'll go first. I think we have a couple things, um, and I, I, we've been talking about it a little bit already in the show. Um, we have several uh, launch partners who, who will be releasing in the coming days and weeks. Um, Jim was the first, uh, but the next two that, will, that are being submitted this week are um, uh, Bright Wall Dark Room and uh, Chad Perriman's the, the gentleman behind that, as well as a, a team of uh, talented writers and, and illustrators. And uh, so uh, you can check out their, their current website at brightwalldarkroom.com. And then the second one is uh, I Care If You Listen, and that's the uh, contemporary classical music and new music uh, community um, founded by uh, Thomas DeNewville, and that's icareifyoulisten.com. Both of those publications um, are, are being submitted this week. They look terrific, and I'm a huge fan of their work. And uh, so, so look for those in the App Store um, just as soon as uh, Apple reviewers say it's okay. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah, I'll. Uh, so for those listening, uh, either live or on the podcast, I'll have those um, in the show notes. But I guess if you're listening live, you're in, in chat. Those two links are there. So if you want to check them out, you can. But uh, Jamie, how about you? Yeah. So um, the Type Engine, the Type Engine app. There's an actual app out called Type Engine. Uh, that's the app that it will allow publishers to preview their content before they decide that they actually want to publish an app with us. Uh, you can go check that out if you have an account on uh, on Type Engine. Just use the same credentials. That's out. We haven't talked about that before. Um, I guess one other thing to mention: you talked about uh, like what's coming a little further afield on the horizon. Is uh, we've gotten the ball rolling with being able to not only publish for iOS newsstand, but also to be able to publish for, um, for Kindle and also be able to publish on Google Play and also be able to take into account web subscriptions, existing web subscriptions for organizations. So if um, there's a, so for instance, like Ben Brooks, right? He's got a, a subscription system where you subscribe on the web and it just charges a credit card. And writers like that who would like to be able to, to also ship a magazine, they'd like to be able to to tell their existing web subscribers, hey, uh, if you're a web subscriber, you also get a subscription to the magazine. You don't have to do another subscription. And we've got the uh, the ball rolling to be able to support all of those things. So uh, we're not just stopping and resting on our laurels. That, that'll be coming. That uh, that last part, I mean, I'm happy about Kindle and I'm happy about Google, Google Play because I think, I think distribution uh, when it comes um, – actually, uh, me and my friend Tim Smith – um, he runs. If you if you haven't heard of the show, he might even want to have you guys on the show eventually, or at some point soon. But uh, he runs this show called The East Wing, and just today I was on uh, I was on his show because I run this blog called The Changelog. Uh, also mentioned as a podcast here on Five by Five. But we've got a number of writers uh, similar as you mentioned the Ben Brooks subscriptions, all that good stuff, and that absorbing existing web subscriptions and uh, providing access. That's tremendous, man. That's gonna be awesome. Yep. Awesome. Um, I, and that might have been a little leak of something I have a desire to do, but I won't mention that any further. <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> um, but that's awesome, man. I mean, uh, so on the Kindle and Google Play, uh, how how much of a an effort does it put on your team to um, extend that? And does that mean that if you're publishing to those platforms, does that change pricing or does, is it the same? 
Yeah, so some of that stuff still needs to be worked through. Obviously, we're going to keep the pricing really simple. It's not going to get it's not going to get complicated. Um, as far as the development overhead, obviously we have the website of things um, to where it's stable. And as you know, there there is no real uh, crossover and reuse of code between iOS apps and uh, yeah. you know, Kindle or Android. So those will those will all be uh, you know handwritten. In uh, in Java, um, but uh, yeah, it, rep- re- it represents a significant development effort. But but obviously, we want to give the largest audience possible to our publishers, to our writers. Um, we felt like the right place to start is in newsstand, um, and you know now that we're mostly stable there, we're going to be uh, we're going to be be working on publishing to those places also. And it'll also it'll obviously be a seamless publishing process. You won't have to make a new magazine just for your Kindle app, right? And and also just to kind of draft on that a little bit, um, we we had that in the back of our minds as we kind of um, initially planned this, and that that definitely um, also plays into the, our decision to decouple uh, content from from presentation, um, so that so that each each new you know, each new platform that we might that we might publish to, you don't necessarily need to. Um, it's not necessarily a, a duplication of effort, right? The content is still this content is can still be the same, and we present it differently uh, with platform specific uh, uh, UI. Yeah, so. that, that makes sense. I mean, it uh, it totally makes sense to me. And for for those that it doesn't make sense to, um, I don't know. That's sad. Makes sense to me, though. <laughs> Jamie, Daniel, you guys are awesome, man. Thanks so much for having the passion you have for solving this much-needed problem. Um, yeah, I commend you guys for this effort. I, I look forward to potentially using what you guys are doing sometime in the uh, in the future. Um, I'm, I'm currently a subscriber of The Loop, so yeah, that's you've done really good on that with, uh, with Jim. But... Uh, uh, awesome. If you wanna, if you wanna follow up with uh, Jamie or Daniel, you can go to TypeEngine.net. Um, I imagine your newsletter subscribe is pretty close. You should probably subscribe to that because they they share a lot of cool nuggets. Uh, that's kind of how I got exposed to it uh, a few months back. But uh, really enjoy your newsletter you put out, even about what you guys are doing. Very uh, awesome. Thank you. Hilarious sometimes. <laughs> in the case. Uh, in some cases. Our, one of our primary newsletter writers is in the other room. It's my wife, Devin. She just, I think she just woohooed from the other room. Is that right? Awesome. <laughs> What's up, Devin? What's up? <laughs> Shout out. There you go. Well, all right, gentlemen, thanks so much for joining me here on this Founders Talk. This has been episode number 43. Uh, if you're a listener listening live, thank you so much. If you're on the 5x5 app, thank you for flipping that bit and putting on the notification of Founders Talk on the app. So, Listen live every Wednesday at 5 Central Standard Time right here on 5x5. Until next week, thanks for listening.